Amen. Luke 19 and verse 12. Jesus said, A noble man was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver. And the ten pounds are actually ten minas, Greek minas each worth about three months' worth of salary. Divided among them ten minas, or ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, and so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other, standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. Master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Be seated. Amen. Well-known parable, as we've mentioned recently, you know this, the those who recorded the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, some folks call them the, the four Gospels, there's only one Gospel. I like to count, call them the counts, the four accounts of the four records of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They all tell the same narrative, but details vary depending on what they saw and what they felt impressed on to to record as God moved on their hearts. And again, that's not for the sake of inaccuracy in any way. Um, When we come upon an event, something happening, every one of us will see something a little different or something impresses us about that scene that we will remember that others may think differently, remember differently. My wife and I were... At Home Depot, when was it, Sister Nick's Thursday night? We ran over to Home Depot at Alamo Ranch on Thursday night. As we approached through the parking lot, winding our way through the, the speed bumps and the cars and everything else going on, in front of Home Depot, we saw emergency lights. And I've looked and looked on ksat.com and kens5.com. KABB.com, haven't seen any stories about this. I'm surprised. But there was, uh, what, two fire trucks, one ambulance, uh, about four police cars, a crowd of people standing around, someone sitting on the ground. They had um, 
the wire, uh, the, the, the orange gates they use to block off aisles when they're doing the forklift moves and such. They had those surrounding the whole area. Like, What's going on? Don't know all the details, but from what we could pick up from the few folks we heard talking, um, somehow an altercation broke out between some folks leaving the store, and one ended up stabbing the other, either in the neck or in the upper arm. We're not quite sure. Maybe both. <laughs> There's some different accounts there. Um, there are different people in the store talking about this event. And one was saying one thing and another was saying something a little different. My wife and I saw what was going on outside. And I'm sure we remember different things about that because things jump out at us. And that, that's how the writers were when they were with Jesus. They were same event. They, they're not contradicting each other. Just one sees the importance of one thing. The other sees the importance of something else. And they blend the story. The, the narrative blends together to give us the richness of the account. So Jesus gave this parable. And again, parable is a earthly story with heavenly meaning. Jesus uses things that we relate to to convey deep, deep spiritual truths. This is, I think, the most detailed of all the accounts of this parable. And it, even with all of its detail, it leaves some things to the imagination. Starts out saying, a noble man was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. That's pretty clear what he's talking about. Jesus knew that he was going to be taken away. In fact, in verse 11, Jesus said, uh, they were trying to listen to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. They thought, his disciples thought, that he was going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem right then and there and save them from the Romans. God's a whole lot more interested in saving you from your sin than he is from the Romans or the Biden administration or whoever else is in charge. Amen. God wants to save your soul a whole lot more than he wants to save your pocketbook or your society. Amen. So he's trying to tell them, I'm not going to set up my kingdom right now, but don't worry. I am coming back. If you take away nothing else, I hope you remember this. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. I said Jesus is coming back for his church. I know it seems impossible sometimes, uh, but I'm here to remind you today, Jesus is coming back for his church. Amen. Nobleman was called away to be crowned king and then returned. He's coming back. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver or 10 minas. I don't know how what the currency looked like in those days, but if you imagine $10 and 10 servants, each servant probably got how much? Probably a buck each, right? We don't know the details. And fascinatingly, at the end of the story, how many servants are recorded reporting in? What happened to the other seven? Jesus gives the extremes of the returns. He shows, he focuses on the, the one who brought back 10 pounds for the one pound he was given. And then second, the, the runner-up, he brings how many back? Five. Out of one pound, he brought back five pounds. And then at the far end of the story, the other end of the spectrum, someone brings back how much? How much? The original amount is how much? One pound, assuming they all got evenly distributed. So you see the ones that overachieved, one to ten, one to five, and then you bring back one to one. That leaves seven that didn't get recognition for superior results, but at the same time, they didn't get chewed out for having no results. 
I think those seven probably brought back somewhere between two and four pounds of return each. It's not that the master wasn't pleased with them, but they didn't get the spotlight. And sometimes it's good to not get the spotlight. <laughs> sometimes it's nice to be in the spotlight. Other times it's not good to be in the spotlight. Sometimes it's good to just be doing what God asks you to do. Sometimes it's good. And oh, if you can be the one that brings 10 to 1 ratio, fantastic. If you can bring 5 to 1 ratio, fantastic. But what about the one that brings 4 to 1, 3 to 1, 2 to 1? Are you going to shrug at them and say, ah, that was no good? So on my team, of the many teams that I assumed and took responsibility for when I joined Corsica Technologies, I'm down to about 17 now because some changes have happened. Going to grow again. I've got a couple of top performers. In fact, I'll count three. They do a significant portion of the work of the whole department. I had a few that brought in the one-to-one -one ratio. They decided to move on. They didn't like the pressure of being held accountable. So they started reading the handwriting on the wall and moving on. I see the story in my own department at work. I've got the superstars that do a crazy amount of work. And I had the slackers who did nothing hardly. And what they did, they messed up or had attitude about or whatever else goes into being that other end of the spectrum. But you know what? I've got about 15 others that do somewhere in between. And I could not run the department without those 15 that do somewhere in between. And the company would fail if we didn't have those 15 somewhere in between. I'm not saying you should be satisfied to be somewhere in between. If you are somewhere in between only because you're happy to not exert yourself, oh, I got one of those. God bless him. Amen. He's got more ability than most folks in the team, but he's happy working 75% of the time. Scratch my head like, how? Can you be happy working 75% of the time and expect 100% of the pay? Fascinating how people's minds work. So if you're, if you're somewhere in the middle, not because you can't do more, but because you just don't want to do more, then shame on you. Amen. Because you should be bringing in the 5 to 1 ratio, the 10 to 1 ratio. But if you're one of the seven in this parable that did what they were asked to do, I'm sure they got reward. In fact, how many cities to govern was the, the, the one that brought 10 to 1 ratio? How many cities was he given to, to govern? Yeah. 10. One for every pound of return, uh, plus the original investment. 10 total. How many cities was the one with 5 to 1 ratio given to govern? Five. Wouldn't it make sense that if you brought in 4 to 1 that you'd be given Four cities, maybe? How about three to one? You think they might get three cities to govern? Two to one? Not bad. Got two cities to govern. I think that they received a just reward for the work that they did for the master. Again, not everyone gets the spotlight. Not everyone is the Apostle Paul. Not everyone is the Apostle Peter. And thank God, not everyone's Judas Iscariot. Amen. You got the ends of the spectrum, right? Of the very disciples of Jesus. Quickly, rattle off the, 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 the disciples you remember. Quickly, quickly. Disciple, Jesus. Matthew. Peter. I hear one of the James. I hear a John. The names you're rattling off. 
are the ones in the spotlight. Matthew, we got a book named Matthew, don't we? How about Mark? Do we have a book named Mark? How about Luke? Yeah. John? James? There a book called James? How about Bartholomew? How about all of those that didn't show up in your list just now? Were they any lesser servants of God than Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul? No. They served God faithfully. And friend, I believe that someday, in fact, I know, they're going to have a crown of life in heaven. Just like Matthew, Mark, or uh, John, Peter, those that are called out. In fact, how many, how many layers of the wall are in the city, the New Jerusalem? Twelve. And how many gates? What is over the name of each of the gates? One gate's named Matthew. One gate's named John. But you got each of the other lesser-known disciples that I got to scrounge my brain just to come up with the names. They have a gate, too. They have a place in the kingdom of God, too. God doesn't ask you to be a superstar. But what he does ask you to do is to be faithful with what you're given. The old King James, the parable says, the king or the, the nobleman told his servants, occupy till I come. New Living Translation puts it in modern terms, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. Let's go to the old King James wording, shall we, for a moment? Occupy till I come. Occupy has different meanings. Give me a meaning for the word occupy. Be there or live in, to be in charge of something, right? What happened when they had this Occupy Wall Street movement a few years back? They took over spaces, right? And they were there. Didn't do much that mess up the place, but they were there. And they took over. Um, that's one meaning of occupy. What's another meaning of occupy? Occupy till I come. Be busy. Occupied. What does it mean? I'm occupied. I'm busy. If the room is occupied, being used for something. Be busy. Until I come. I would like for you to bring back a 10 to 1 ratio. I'd be delighted if you brought back 5 to 1. But don't come back to me with nothing. Don't come back to me with nothing. I want you to be busy until I come. I've learned one thing in business. Company I work for is, isn't the smallest in the world, but certainly not the largest. We don't compete with the Apples and the Googles and the or the Alphabets or what are they called and the Metas. We don't uh, we don't compete with Oracle or GM or Ford. Do you know what we do? We do what we do best. We focus on what we can do. We bring our abilities together. We bring our collective skills and talents together. And we keep busy. One of the key things that I've been charged with doing and starting to make a dent in it, thank God, keep people busy. And if you start a project and you've got 40 hours worth of work, don't tell me that you're going to schedule it over four weeks. How many hours of work in a week? How many hours of work in a week? 40, typically. I wish there was only 40, amen. But well, we've calculated, right, 40 hours in a work week. If you've got 40 hours worth of tasks, don't come telling me that you're going to work it over a four-week span. 
Get some urgency in your approach to life. Instead of scheduling over four weeks, schedule in one week. And if you can't get it done, then we'll slip the schedule a little bit. But don't come into this thinking, oh, I've got all the time in the world. Because you don't have all the time in the world. The old adage is true. Time is what? Time is money. If you want to make money, you make the most of your time. And as a leader of a team of project engineers, I have to instill urgency in my people's minds. I have to tell them if we've got a contract signed, we need to start work within a matter of days, not a matter of weeks. And once we start the work, we've got to finish it as quickly as we possibly can so that we can get started on something else and make some more money so that we don't get fired. Amen. Praise God. I gave my teams uh, a, a riddle, a mind bender for them in one of the team meetings. I asked them, listen carefully, as a contractor, what is the most important part of the building phase? The basement, because they live up the north with their basements. The basement or the roof? As a contractor, what's more important, the basement or the roof? The basement. Contractor, basement or roof? Basement. Contractor, basement or roof? Basement. Keep hearing basement. With Alfred, basement or roof? Basement. Why do y'all say basement? Foundation. Because you want to do the thing right. Correct? Now listen to my question. I didn't say as an engineer, what's the most important part? I said as a contractor, what's the most important part? Think about your answer for a minute. If you're contracted to build a house, what's most important to you? Finishing it. The last nail in the roof is when I get paid. Yeah, I want to do things right. Do you know what? If I spend all of my time building the basement or putting a foundation and get nothing else done, I'm never going to get paid. I want to finish the job. I want to get paid. So as a contractor, to me, the most important thing is the last nail in the roof so that I can move on and do something else to keep on making money. Amen. Think about that in the sense of the kingdom of God. We want to do things right. Yes, but friend, we've got to get something accomplished. We've got to do something more than just constantly putting down a foundation. Paul said, I have laid a foundation as a master builder. I laid a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Did it stop there? He said, I laid the foundation, but others built upon it. Friend, the kingdom of God has a foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. He is the main thing that matters. And yes, you got to get the foundation right for everything else to happen. But if all you ever do is a foundation, you'll never accomplish anything in your life. Much less the kingdom of God. You've got to have a goal. You've got to have something to work for. And as a contractor, I'm working for the last nail in the roof. And friend, as a child of God, we're looking for that first footstep on a street of gold. Hallelujah. Amen. Can you say amen to that? If you're not shooting for anything else, you're just kind of wandering through your life, my friend. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews said that we have a city that is not built by hands. Hallelujah. A city whose builder and maker is God himself. And I have a goal. I want to be in heaven someday. And I won't make it if I just kind of drift along. Because you know what? God is a hard taskmaster. He's just rough. 
No one can really serve God and please him, you know. It's just tough to make God happy. And the more I try, the more I think he's going to be disappointed with me. So I'll just quit trying. Master, I hid your money. I kept it safe. I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with. Taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Is he accusing his master of being a thief? No. He's accusing his master of being a shrewd businessman who knows how to maximize his opportunities and his profits. And he said, Master, I, I've seen you in action, and I can't compare with you. And I know, I just know, that I would disappoint you. If you come to God with that attitude, I can't serve God because all I'll do is disappoint God. Guess what? You're right. You will disappoint God. God doesn't want you to be afraid to serve him. Somehow we get this in our minds. Oh, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be holy enough. I'll never be spiritual enough. I'll never be whatever enough. If that's your mindset, you never will be. But if you make up your mind, I may not be the business wizard that my master is, but you know what? I'm me. And I can do something. How much do eggs cost today? How much a, a dozen? Some are five bucks, four eighty-nine. You can get some a little cheaper, but not a whole lot. Let's say four bucks a dozen. How much did they cost a year ago? About two, two and a half bucks a dozen. Am I right? What happened in a year's time? Inflation. We won't go to <laughs> politics. Amen. Inflation. Has the dollar bill changed? Still the dollar bill. Does it buy as much today as it did a year ago? Absolutely not. So if you take that dollar bill and stick it under your pillow, because you don't want to lose it, it's not worth anything anymore. I'm something, but not enough. That's why God, the nobleman, got so angry with that servant. Because if you don't use what God has given you, you're actually losing money. You are losing money. Do something with that money. I don't know what to do. Figure out something to do. Or go and ask somebody for an idea. Anyone ever run a lemonade stand when you were a kid? There you go. <laughs> He's pointing at you. <laughs> Freshly minted financial advisor. Amen. Anyone ever ran a lemonade stand when you were a kid? Anyone? I read about it. Brew didn't drink lemonade, so no, we didn't run lemonade stands. Well, we made Kool-Aid and pretended we were selling it. Anyone made a buck when you were a kid? Anyone have an idea? What'd you do for shovel snow? That's boring. Did it make money? It made money. What'd you do for sold papers? That's kind of boring too. Wait, did you make money at it? Yeah. How many times have I heard? Oh, I'll never work there. Unless you're hungry. If you get hungry enough, you work at Burger King. I did. Amen. McDonald's, there you go. Nothing wrong with working, my friend. There is no job that is too menial. If you need to make a buck, go and do some work. And don't tell me that you can't find some kind of work. May not be what you like doing. May not be what you want to do, but you know what? If you're serious about making a buck, you can work. 
you'll find something to do. And if you are serious about working for God, doing something for his kingdom, you'll find something that needs to be done. Ladies, has your husband and kids ever looked around and said, I don't see what's the big deal with it. There's not much to clean up in the house. <laughs> Maybe the other way around. I guarantee you, unless you are an immaculate housekeeper who just cleaned from top to bottom last night or this morning, if you walked into your house right now, would there be something to do to fix up? Always something to do, right? Find something to clean. Oh, I don't see anything. Where do we start? Have the floors been vacuumed lately? Or if you have tile, have been swept? Have they been mopped? I just found a rabbit. Wait, it's a dust bunny. Never mind. And in South Texas, you can dust one day and the next day run your finger, and guess what? It's right back. There's always something to do if you're serious. And I'm not talking about dusting dust bunnies. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. There's something to do. Friend, there are prayers that need to be prayed. I don't know if you have that same understanding of prayer that I do, but I believe that there are prayers that we need to pray. I believe there are prayers that a church needs to pray. I believe there are prayers that a nation needs to pray. Amen? I see that in the scriptures, where different groups of people prayed different ways and for different things. I believe that there are prayers that only you can pray. But then there are prayers that are collective. There are prayers this church needs to pray. What are some of those prayers? What do you think some of those prayers could be at a church level? Pastors, leaders, amen. What else? The what? For each other. Yes. What else? The congregation. Yes. What else? For souls to be saved. Yes. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he send forth labors into his harvest. Yes. Those are prayers the church needs to be able to pray. If there's trials and tribulations, church in the book of Acts got together and prayed. They said, Lord, thank you for counting us worthy to suffer for your name. So, but you know what? We need some help, Lord, because we want to preach the gospel. We want to preach your name. So God, give us grace, give us strength, give us peace, and help us to preach. Amen. And the whole place shook with the power of the glory of God. Those are church prayers that need to be prayed. There are you prayers that need to be prayed. There are nation prayers that need to be prayed. If my people, which are called by my name... Yes, that's a, a prayer for a nation to wake up and turn back to God. This nation needs to turn back to God. Amen. And you and I, as part of the nation, we need to pray those prayers of repentance for the nation. You've got nothing else to do in the kingdom of God. You know what you can do? You can pray. Now, wait, we just went over this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Is any among you afflicted he should what he should pray is anyone happy he should do what no 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 is anyone happy he should what no is anyone happy he should no not rejoice is anyone happy he should sing songs the scripture says amen i believe there are songs that need to be sung in the presence of God. There are songs of victory. There are songs, yes, of rejoicing. There are songs of, uh, of worship. There are things that we need to express that only come out in song sometimes. Amen. Oh, I'm not a singer. God didn't call you to be 
on the voice where America's got talent. You know what he called you to be? A child of God who can lift your voice and sing a song unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. There is always something you and I can do for God. Or just like the next family where my wife remembers it all and the rest of us are oblivious sometimes. Wait a minute, there's something to do? Yeah, there's always something to do. So I'm going to give you 10 pounds of money. 10 of you, 10 pounds. Divide it up among you, he said. Doesn't he say that he dispersed it, did it? Didn't he say? He said, you go figure it, just hand it out amongst you. I guarantee if there are 10, I'd insist on having at least one pound, right? I think they all got the same amount to start with. And I think that you and I all get the same amount to start with in God. The question is, what do we do with it? I close with this. We love hero stories, don't we? Anyone like Superman? Back when Superman was Superman? I was a kid, Superman was it. Oh, I love Superman. Yeah. The stories about Superman always started with what? Clark Kent doing his job. What was Clark Kent's job? The reporter, wasn't he? I know Lois Lane was a reporter, right? Yeah. Both reporters? There he tells wow. you how much of a mild-mannered reporter. Doing his job. And something happens, and it's time to become Superman. And so where does he go? What are phone booths? <laughs> who's, who's ever seen a phone booth? Yeah. So Clark Kent runs to the phone booth, and what does he do? Transforms. And out comes Superman. And that's where the story starts. Now it gets fun. Was Batman Batman all the time? Who's Batman when he's not Batman? What's his name? And how did Batman get summoned? The bat signal, yes. And suddenly, Batman's in action. And that's where the fun... I mean, yeah, rich guy sitting around doing whatever rich guys do. Boring. The story starts when Batman emerges, right? We love the hero stories. And friend, we love when Elijah says... No rain. And the heavens dry up. We love when he emerges again and he calls down fire from heaven. Consume the sacrifice. And he kills 300 prophets of Baal. And uh, then he goes and he prays. And what happens after he prayed seven times? Him, him. Rain came again. Amen. Ooh, those are great stories, aren't they? Woo-hoo! We love the part where Elijah says, Elisha, you stay here. Time for me to leave. And Elisha says, what? Ain't happening, dude. Sorry. I'm coming with you. And we love the story how they get to the Jordan. And how do they cross the river? Takes off his mantle his coat and he smites the waters and the waters of the river dry up a path right in front of them and they cross the river and they get to the other side and they're talking and all of a sudden what happens whoosh here comes a chariot of fire horses of fire here they come and they snatch him up out of sight and he's gone into heaven those are great stories How about day two, day one, we'll call it, where he 
stops the rain from falling. What happens day two? God says, go to Brook Kitrin. And what are you going to do there? Yeah, but what are you going to do there? You're going to work miracles on a daily basis, right? You're going to call. You're going to practice calling down fire from heaven. Ooh, look at that. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm practicing my technique. Ooh, look at that. You think that's what happened? God said, go to the brook and chill out. Sit there. I'll take care of you. And here come the birds. With what? With what? What kind of food? Meat and I think it says it's just meat. Maybe it's bread, meat, something, whatever birds can snatch off the king's table. And for about how long did he stay there? About a year or so, if I recall, eight months or so. And then the brook started drying up. So what did he do? God said, go where? Go to this little village. And you're going to see a widow. And we're going to have another miracle happening. And that was a cool miracle, wasn't it? That was amazing. And it happened day after day after day. Now, I'm not taking away from miracles because they are amazing. But you know what? If you go and see a magic show and they make it look like magic is happening, right? And you you walk out of that show, it's like, oh, that was the best show. That's amazing. Are you going to go back the next day and see the same show? You might. Are you going to be as amazed the second time as the first time? Nah. How about the third day? You going to go back and see the same show? Come on, how about the seventh day in a row? How about a year later going to see the same thing over and over? Are you going to be quite as amazed the 365th time as you were the first time? I'm not taking away from the miracle of the, the flower that never vanished and the oil that never dried up. But you know what? After a few days, it's just, okay, praise God. It's still happening. Whew, it's good. But you're not having all the, that's amazing. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. What a miracle. From the day he shut the heavens to not rain, however many months passed to the next miracle. And by the way, the only ones that seem to know about that miracle are the widow and her son and the prophet. If the word got out that this was happening, guess what else would happen? There'd be a mad rush on her house because everyone was starving to death. So I think they kind of kept that miracle amongst themselves. What's the fun of a secret if you can't tell it? Mm-hmm. Human nature, right? <gasps> we want someone else to see this. No, just it's just happening right here. Just here. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of boring, doesn't it? What did the prophet do every day when he woke up and, oh, it's still good. Look, oh, the flower's still there. And look, the, the oil's still running. Praise God. Let's make another meal. And then they eat the meal. And what? What? Happened the rest of the day. No, it was a pretty boring existence. Just saying it. I don't see Elijah doing anything spectacular from day one, shutting the heavens. Until that next day, whenever it was, a few months out, where oil and flour are provisioned. From then till the other rest of the three and a half years, I don't see any record of any miracles. I don't see record of him preaching to crowds and people hearing. I don't, I don't know what he did. I hope he went out and looked for wood to start fires with at least, right? I mean, that's what the widow was doing that day he met her. I hope he wasn't a lazy bum that just sat at home. I hope he did something. I think he did something. But the thing is, was he still the prophet of God? Yes. 
And was he ready the moment God said, let's go talk to the king? Okay, I'm a little rusty, but you know what? I'm here and I'm ready. Let me ask you quickly, basketball players, professional basketball players, after the season ends, they just go home and do nothing, right? Some do. When they come back in the next season, 40 pounds heavier, it's like, uh, what were you doing? What do professional athletes do in the offseason? They practice, they train, they practice, they train. Well, that's boring. I'm not even playing. Guess what? You practice, you train, you practice, you train. Because you're looking forward to the start of the next season. And friend, if you show up in training camp and you're so out of shape that you can't train with the rest of the team, are your chances good of playing that next season? You're a starter. You're probably going to be a bench at that point, right? Am I right? When things aren't popping, when the bat signal's not in the sky, when they're not calling Superman to go change in a phone booth, you do your job. If you're an athlete, you go to the gym and you practice. I still don't know how basketball players can miss so many free throws. I don't understand. They're paid tens of millions of dollars to do nothing but dribble the ball. And they still miss over and over and over again. But when you miss, you go home in a huff, you get the ball, and you try it again. And in the offseason, you're expected to motivate yourself to get up and go to the gym and get up and go train. Get up and go stay in shape. Elder Jim, you served in the Army, correct? Did you ever see warfare? So you just sat around all day in the mess hall, right? Wait a minute. He was in the Army. He never saw actual combat. What do soldiers do all day? I think they're not fighting. Just sit around, eat, and watch TV. And Excuse me? What did you do? When you woke up in the morning, you trained. When you went through the rest of the day, you trained. You studied. You prepared. Sometimes you go on forced marches. Yes, you learned the tools of the trade. And though this man never saw actual combat, he's as much a soldier as any other soldier that has ever served. Amen. You do not sign up to fight. You sign to be ready to fight, to serve as your country needs you. My friend, you need to serve God with a mentality. If God needs me to preach a general conference, I'll preach a general conference. Amen. If God needs me to go and my shadow fall on somebody and it heal them, I want to be ready for that. But if I never see the spotlight, I get up in the morning and serve God. Why do I need to pray? Oh, I pray when I feel like I need to pray. No, you pray when you don't feel like you need to pray. Amen. If you feel like you need to go train, you're happy and excited to go train, it's good. But do you need it as much as when you don't feel like you need to go train? Uh That's when you need to go train. Amen. If you're going to get in shape, you get up when you don't feel like it. And you do it even more than when you're excited about doing it. Friend, you've got to serve God with a mentality. I am going to serve him. I am his child. I am called for a purpose. And whether the master's here breathing down my neck or not. I've got a job to do. Stand with you. The off-season, the downtime, the time when nobody is there to motivate you. 
people have found with COVID and the work from home craze, not everybody, but a lot of folks aren't as productive working from home as they are when they're in the office. Again, not everybody. Some folks are more productive working from home. But a lot of folks, hate to say it, human nature. If somebody's not walking by, checking on your work, Right. That's why they have things called, oh yeah, managers, supervisors, supervisors. and then the church they're called what? Pastors and preachers and elders and deacons. Yes, God puts structure in the church just like we put structure in businesses, and it's great when the pastor's saying, "Oh, let's pray." Okay, let's pray. Praise God. What happens? How much time do you spend in church versus the time you don't spend in church? If we get three hours of church time in a week, we're doing good. There's a lot of hours out there that nobody's breathing down your neck to pray, to serve God, to work for God, to sing a song, to do whatever. Amen. That's where God calls you to be a mature servant of God. And he's given you what he gave you, gave you, he gave me. We all start with the same thing. We all have the spirit of God. We all have his blood, his name on our lives. We are born again children of God. We have the ability to do something for his kingdom. The question is, what are you going to do? And someday he's coming back. I know it may may not seem like it sometimes, but let me remind you one more time, Jesus is coming again. Amen. I would not be doing my job as a preacher if I didn't remind you, Jesus is coming again. Amen. His old song says, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. Praise God. I don't know what day or hour he comes, but friend, when he comes, I want to be occupied doing something for the kingdom of God. And again, I may not be a superstar. I may not be Superman or Batman or whatever hero in action the moment he comes. But I submit to you as I do shut up and leave you with this. It matters more what you do in the off-season than what you do when you're in front of the fans. It matters more what you do at Brook Kidron or in the widow's house all of those endless days when nothing's happening. I think that matters more than the moment you step in front of that altar and say, okay, God, I need some fire to come down from heaven. Because if Elijah hadn't been praying, if Elijah hadn't been working for God, doing something for all of those years, I don't think he would have been able to call down fire from heaven. And I sure don't think that he could have prayed and caused a rainstorm to come upon the land. That takes occupying doing whatever he needs you to do until he comes. God bless you in Jesus' name.